This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move farther along in St. Luke with blessings and woes. Love of enemies, lives of mercy, of logs and specks, and built on the rock. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. The Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, usually saved for the fourth Sunday in Advent. In that Sunday, we hear the testimony of John the Baptist. Some approach John the Baptist. They want to know who he really is, and he ends up testifying about Jesus, which is what John the Baptist has been sent to do. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, the last Sunday of Advent, Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you again, Todd. What would you say the overall theme of this coming Sunday is? I would say redemption. Jesus is my Lord, who has redeemed me with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And because of that, he lifts the darkness of my heart and soul, which is weighed down by sin. And he does so by his grace and mercy. He is my kinsman redeemer who has united himself with my flesh and blood and with the flesh and blood of all humanity to make our sin his own. And from heaven, there falls the mercy and the grace of his forgiveness. That's what this Sunday is all about, and it's captured in the Latin theme, Rorite Celi, drop down ye heavens. And what's what's dropping down is, is the mercy and the forgiveness of our kinsman redeemer, who has purchased us from sin, death, and the power of the devil, that we might be his own. And so it, it really accents, this Sunday does, the, the theme in the second article of the Creed from the large catechism, where Luther talks about Jesus as my Lord, not like the tyrant, Satan, the one who subjects me to bondage, but the Lord who provides everything for me, who is my gracious Savior, the bridegroom sent from heaven. He is the son of righteousness. And so we pray in the intro, you know, shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds of rain rain down righteousness. So that's what this Sunday is about. And I think that it is so easy for us, Todd, as preachers to only, in our preaching of the law, focus on pharisaical self-righteousness. 
And in the gospel for this Sunday, the Pharisees are going to send messengers to John the Baptist asking for his testimony. Who are you? And what are you saying about yourself? Where did you get this authority? But it's in the collect for the day that we really see that the malady for this Sunday that needs to be addressed are the sins which weigh us down. The affliction for which we cry out to Jesus to come and lift this burden by his grace and mercy. That's how the collect for the week addresses Jesus. And I think that the careful and wise preacher must look at all of the propers for the day for this Sunday and discern from the petitions in the intro, in the collect for the day, in the gradual, in the verse, how these petitions are really the petitions of a Christian or of a congregation that is weighed down by sin. And I'm reminded of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Temptation, Todd, is any word or will or desire that speaks to us. It's sometimes our guilty conscience. It is the devil's accusations or, or the judgment of law. And it says to us, you can't trust God. You can't trust him. You can't rely upon him. You cannot depend upon him. And Luther says in the explanation, God tempts no one. When we're praying, lead us not into temptation, we pray that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Despair, other great shame and vice. So if you wanted to look at the malady that so often afflicts Christians, this Sunday really puts its finger on the idea that on the one hand, Christians, because of the miracle of repentance and faith wrought in them, they have a new nature. The new man, they desire to love God and to love the neighbor. But on the other hand, the perennial problem of sin so afflicts them that they find themselves in that angst, that dilemma, that sense of great shame and vice, as the catechism would say, that Paul speaks about. The good that I would, I don't do, and that which I would not do is the very thing that I do, O wretched man that I am. So the sense of one's wretchedness and the yearning desire to have that wretchedness lifted from us and our kinsman redeemer Jesus comes and he aligns himself with our flesh and blood he is without sin but he has taken upon himself our flesh that he might be the sin bearer and the price or the cost of the redemption to purchase us back from bondage to sin, Satan, and the condemnation of the law, from this despair and from this death, this separation from God, is nothing less than his holy, precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. And why does he do this? That I may be his own. So my Redeemer kinsman has come for me, and he's redeemed me, he's redeemed us all with his blood, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in the freedom and the comfort and the joy of his everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So drop down, ye heavens, bring this great blessing of the salvation of my Lord Jesus and his mercy and grace to me. What is the collect for the coming Sunday? Yeah, so you know how we have talked about 
there's three of the four colics that are addressed to the Son, to Jesus, in Advent. And this is another one on this fourth Sunday. Similar to the third Sunday in Advent addressed to Jesus, this collect doesn't even include the typical address like Lord God, Heavenly Father, or Dear Lord Jesus Christ, or something like that, an address, but goes immediately to the petition. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might, that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So notice the collect is addressed directly to our Lord Jesus, but without an address. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might, that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. So it begins with the petition. And in so doing, you can see this is the fourth Sunday of four Sundays in Advent. One, two, three, four. You have this heightened expectation in the collect, this, this yearning for the coming of our Lord, for his mercy and grace to lift the burden of shame and the temptation to despair because of the ongoing struggle with sin. And, and that's why I've, I said at the outset that I think the wise preacher must not fall prey to the temptation simply to address in the law preaching the self-righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees within all of us, but rather to put his finger on how we are all so easily weighed down by the sense of our sin and the shame and the temptation to despair that it brings. And so this collect is fervent as our need is embodied in the petition itself. And this is what we want. And so this sets up the gospel for the day and the concept of Jesus as our redeemer kinsman that is contained within the gospel for the day from John chapter 1. What do we find in the intro from both Psalm 19 and Isaiah 45? Right. Isaiah 45 is the antiphon, verse 8. And then Psalm 19, verses 1, and then 4 and 6. It's important to remember where the intro it comes. It's Latin for entrance, and it comes right after the confession and absolution or confession and declaration of grace. So if you imagine, Todd, that in our confession of sins, we are thinking about those sins which weigh us down. And we confess them. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I a poor, miserable sinner confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. And then our pastor proclaims to us the sweet words of absolution, or he proclaims to us that declaration of grace that is rooted in our baptism and the promise of grace. And then we enter into the presence of the Lord as the pastor goes up into the chancel after the absolution. And we pray this intro it. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their works to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. 
and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. You can hear in that intro it, that yearning for the Lord's righteousness, for him to rain down that mercy and grace which comforts and restores, and as the collect for the day indicates, lifts the darkness of our hearts and minds, lifts the sins which weigh us down. So the image in this intro of clouds and rain is not the image of a storm, but is intended to evoke the gift of rain as that which fuels growth and new life. So if you can think about a spring shower that falls gently and steadily and how when the clouds clear and the sun comes out that you can almost see the grass growing and the plants and the flowers beginning to sprout forth and open up and blossom. And that's what God's grace in Christ Jesus does for us. So the sum and substance of the heavens showering rain upon the earth in this image in the intro it the sum and substance of it is the righteousness and salvation of christ it is the forgiving righteousness of the lord jesus which produces the fruit of repentance and the joy of salvation as the sin is lifted from us and in its place the confidence of the lord's peace and forgiveness The comparison of the ministry of the word and sacraments to sun and clouds and rain is vivid. You know, new life and salvation is the purpose. And uh, so I I just love the image here and where the sun that comes out after the clouds of rain go away, that sun is none other than the bridegroom himself, who is like a strong man. You think about Jesus' reference to the Strong man, Satan. Now, this is a reference to the stronger man, our Lord Jesus, our Redeemer kinsman. So the bridegroom comes out who in joy comes to redeem his bride so that she is safe. So I really think it's important to see these connections, this yearning for the Lord's deliverance when we are weighed down by our sins. And so the intro for the day celebrates that. The Alleluia verse is Psalm 40, a little bit of verse 17. Psalm 40, verse 17b, Alleluia, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Alleluia. You are my help and my deliverer. You see, the testimony of John the Baptist as the forerunner preparing the way for Jesus' coming is a testimony that when received in repentance and faith, when it converts the heart, desires the Lord Jesus, believes in him, you are my help, trusts in him, you are my deliverer. You can translate deliverer here as redeemer. So it echoes the exact theme set forth in the collect for the day. And the Holy Gospel for the day, taken from John 1, 19 through 28, is anticipated in this verse of the day from Psalm 40, as Jesus is called the deliverer or the Redeemer. So we are essentially saying in the verse for the day, as we stand anticipating the Holy Gospel to hear the words and works of Jesus, and in this case, it is through the testimony of John the Baptist that we will hear those words and works. 
We're essentially saying, I'm weighed down with sin. I need you. Oh, Lord, come. And he does. And that's why, again, I I just want to push this point home to see here that the malady, which is addressed on this fourth Sunday, is how easily we are weighed down with sin and threatened by that sin to find ourselves in despair and a sense of hopelessness. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. When we return, we'll get into the gospel reading. Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040 or issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. For sinners only. You're listening to Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Todd Rappi. I serve a congregation here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, our Redeemer Lutheran Church, a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All of the saints here gather around blood, water, and spirit as theologians of the cross every Sunday morning at 1030. We only welcome sinners. We certainly would welcome you. If you'd like to contact us through our website, you may do so at faylcms.org. Lugia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Marquardt and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to the fourth Sunday in Advent in the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, how does the gospel for this coming Sunday read? 
We'll take the primary gospel for the day, and I'll, I'll mention also the alternate gospel, but the primary gospel assigned historically is John 1, 19 through 28. So you have in the third Sunday in Advent from Matthew 11, the reference to John the Baptist, who sends his disciples to Jesus, go and tell John what you see and hear. And now this fourth Sunday, it's John 1, also John the Baptist, a principal figure. But it's not after his imprisonment, it's actually before his imprisonment. John 1, 19 through 28. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Notice how John 1 begins. This is the testimony of John. Now you have to read through the entire gospel before you understand the testimony of John. The testimony of John is actually, concerning Jesus, is actually found in verse 27, where he says, He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That identifies Jesus as the Redeemer kinsman, and we'll open that up a little bit in a moment. But isn't it interesting how his testimony begins? He defers. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I am rather, and he uses the humblest reference, but it is a prophecy concerning the forerunner contained in Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So by saying that, he is emphasizing, I am simply a preacher. I am the voice crying in the wilderness of this world of sin and death and darkness and despair and hopelessness. Make straight the way of the Lord, the substance of his message. So John's testimony is Jesus is the Redeemer kinsman. The messengers from the Pharisees questioned John's authority, in part because he was bold in his preaching and was no respecter of persons. And the reference to the Pharisees, of course, may cause us as preachers to want to gravitate to preaching the law on this Sunday strictly in terms of condemning Pharisaical self-righteousness. And that's what I would caution us against, because those who are coming to John the Baptist to be baptized, 
are, according to the Gospels, coming out to him, confessing their sins to be baptized. In other words, they're confessing the enormous weight of sin that is upon them, for which John the Baptist, in testifying to Jesus, is offering forgiveness of sins. And, and we shall remember how immediately following this gospel, something we hear in Epiphany, the baptism of our Lord, where John is saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John's authority to preach and to baptize came directly from the Lord, whose way he was preparing, and who is the Redeemer. John was ordained, as it were, to do this work before he was born. In the very promises from the Old Testament scriptures, promises made in Isaiah, like this passage cited by John from Isaiah 40, or Malachi uh, chapter 4 and elsewhere, and his father, Zechariah the priest, would have delivered this word of God to him. And because he was designated by the angel Gabriel, even before he was born, to this ministry of repentance, to turn the children to the fathers and to the fathers to the children away from their sin to embrace the Lord's Messiah, that's why I say he was really ordained to do this work before he was born. And yet he describes himself simply as a voice, the voice of preaching the call to repentance, and the proclamation of the mercy and grace of the Redeemer kinsman. John is not the Christ, he says, the Christ, the anointed one, Messiah, son of David, promised king. He is not Elijah, Elijah's name, that Old Testament prophet, the Lord is God. He is not the Lord and he is not God. While it is true that we sometimes hear of John as being in the position of Elijah in terms of his preparatory preaching. In this testimony, he does not want any accolades whatsoever because John wishes for all of the attention to be directed to Jesus, whose way he is preparing. He is not the prophet, and this is a direct reference to Deuteronomy 18, which also serves as the Old Testament reading for the day the prophet. So the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said, him you shall hear. And that's who John the Baptist wanted the people to hear. I baptize with water, but the prophet who stands behind me, hear him. He is the one who is the redeemer and who saves us from the darkness of our sins. So John is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. What does it mean? to make straight. It means that the way of the Lord is cleared, you know, pathway, highway. It is cleared by contrition and repentance, that passive repentance that God's word works in the hearts of sinners. It is cleared by contrition and repentance, by confession of sin and by the Lord's absolution. It is cleared by the exalted mountains of pride. And there you do have a reference to self-righteousness in Isaiah being leveled to the ground. And the lowly valleys of a broken and contrite heart are raised up by the Lord's forgiveness. So this is the fundamental work of preaching, to make straight the way of the Lord into the hearts of sinners, that their hearts, which are weighed down, may be quickly lifted by the grace and mercy of the Lord. Now, Todd, the climax of this particular gospel is often missed. John answered them and said, 
I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. We miss the point of verse 27. If we think that what John is saying is simply this, Jesus is so great, like if he were a basketball player, I'm not even worthy to carry his sneakers. But that's not the point. The reference to the sandal strap identifies Jesus as the Redeemer kinsman or kinsman redeemer. A kinsman is someone who is the most closely aligned to our humanity, the closest male relative to a widowed bride who would risk everything to redeem the widowed bride. See, the widowed bride, her husband has died. Her security is gone. She may have to sell the property in order to support herself, but she is left with nothing. So the kinsman redeemer, the near kinsman, is that closest male relative who would be her husband. He would raise up children with her. He would redeem the inheritance of the dead so that it was not lost and the widowed bride of the man would be cared for. So he would provide for her in every way. He would love the widowed bride. So this concept of kinsman redeemer, the protocols for it, go back into the Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, and particularly Leviticus that outlines this. But the greatest story where we see it in the Old Testament is the story of Ruth. And if you remember the story of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabitess, and her mother-in-law is Naomi. And Naomi's husband died, Naomi's two sons, including the husband of Ruth, died. And they had been in the land of Moab because of the famine. They come back to Bethlehem. And you remember the story. Ruth had been so touched by the gospel confessed by her Israelite family that she married into that she tells Ruth, I I'm not going to go anywhere. Don't ask me to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. But Ruth and Naomi are left destitute, as it were, in the land of Israel when they return to Bethlehem. And there is in the book of Ruth a close male relative who is not identified by name, the Redeemer kinsman. He would have had that opportunity and really responsibility to redeem Ruth and Naomi and to raise up children on behalf of the dead. But this near kinsman doesn't want to do it. It is Boaz that steps forward. And he's the one who is willing to risk everything to marry this woman, to be her redeemer. And so it's an interesting passage in Ruth chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was an attestation in Israel. Therefore, the near kinsman said to Boaz, so the near kinsman had the first right of redemption for Ruth. The near kinsman said to Boaz, 
buy it for yourself. So he, that is Boaz, took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day. Remember, John the Baptist in the gospel for the day was giving testimony as to who Jesus is. So when Boaz says, you are witnesses this day, what they're witnessing is the fact that the right of redemption transferred from that near kinsman who wasn't named to Boaz. You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. So what's going on here? It is actually Boaz that loosed his sandal and laid his foot bare, holding up his sandal, as it were, giving the sandal to the near kinsman. And in so doing, Boaz was saying, I am willing to run the risk to redeem this woman. He lays his foot bare. And so John's point in the gospel is that he is not even worthy to unloose the sandal strap of Jesus, the only one who can be and is our Redeemer kinsman. And this foot theology, I like to call it, of the Redeemer kinsman goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, and he would do so by his heel being bruised, a reference to the suffering and death upon the cross. Every man that was ever crucified was crucified naked. Jesus was crucified naked. I love the scene from Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ where Mary kisses the bloody feet of Jesus. It's actually making that particular point that he is the Redeemer kinsman who by the shedding of his holy precious blood has become my Lord and rescued me from sin, death, and the power of the devil. In that same film, you have the wonderful scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus stands up and slams his foot down on the head of the snake there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this foot theology of the Redeemer kinsman goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, but you can trace it through the type of Redeemer kinsman seen in Boaz, the work of the barefoot priests who officiate in the tabernacle and in the temple, uh, the high priest who would go barefoot into the Holy of Holies. That's why the laver was outside that wash basin, whereby they sanctified themselves for this service by washing their feet. And that helps us understand why Jesus washed the disciples' feet. They were being sanctified and prepared to officiate in the apostolic ministry and preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. And then it helps us understand the acclamation from Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. So, because when we preach the gospel of peace, we are preaching the good news of our Redeemer kinsman who laid his foot bare, trampled Satan's authority and power to condemn us underfoot, redeemed us with his holy precious blood, made us his own, and as the gospel is preached, we are lifting the burden of sin that weighs us down and giving that wonderful comfort to God's people. So it's a marvelous, this is where the study of the scriptures beyond even the propers for the day is so essential for the pastor in understanding, in this case, exactly what is John's testimony? Jesus is our redeemer kinsman. He has aligned himself with our flesh and with our blood 
in order to make our sin his own. And he risks everything as a redeemer kinsman to redeem us. And in that sense, he is our faithful bridegroom. So what a way to prepare on this final Sunday in Advent for the birth of the Son of God. The word becomes flesh and is laid into the manger of Bethlehem to be our redeemer kinsman and to trample Satan underfoot. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. Folks, you can help us contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints by making a year-end tax-deductible gift to support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. You can make a donation by giving us a call, 618-223-8385 or online at issuesetc.org. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, We'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. When we return, it'll be the alternate gospel that Pastor Bender mentioned before. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology. And for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Looking forward to Advent 4 with Pastor Peter Bender at the Concordia Catechetical Academy. So what was the alternative gospel that you had mentioned before? Well, the alternative gospel, and I think this was assigned because of a desire to bring more explicitly Christmas themes into Advent, but it does fit very nicely. It's Luke 1, 39 through 56. It's the narrative of the visitation of the Virgin Mary, newly pregnant with the Son of God, to her cousin Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And remember the collect for the day. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and by your mercy. So in this alternate gospel, the greeting of the gospel that Mary speaks in the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He's lifted up the lowly. See, so the greeting of the gospel in the Magnificat brings great joy and rejoicing to Elizabeth and to baby John the Baptist who leaps for joy in Mary's womb and to every believer lifting the sins which weigh us down by the visitation of his grace and mercy. And so the birth of Jesus or here in this gospel, the conception uh, nine months before his birth is the beginning of that visitation of grace and mercy proclaimed by Mary's Magnificat, by John's preaching, and by the voice of every faithful under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus. How does the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday read? Well, the Old Testament reading, you can see how it's tied into the gospel for the day when John the Baptist says, I am not the prophet. There was an expectation that the prophet greater than Moses would come. And so it's Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
This is the word of the Lord. So you see, Todd, here is how the threat of the law, the accusation of the law, the proclamation of the law at Mount Sinai was terrorizing the consciences of the faithful. And that's why Moses had to speak to them. They couldn't bear to listen directly to the Lord. But now I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So the prophet greater than Moses is Jesus himself. Listening to the Lord at Mount Sinai brought fear to the Old Testament congregation. They desired to have the Lord speak to them in a way that did not cause fear and dread, but that lifted the weight of sin from their troubled consciences. They desired to have the Lord speak to them in a way that did not cause fear and dread. And this is what Jesus does. And this is the attractive thing about his ministry. And it's, it's the thing that caused jealousy among the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders of the people. When he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God himself, the authority to forgive sin, the authority to lift the burdens of our hearts, to give us real hope in the resurrection and of the kingdom of God and of deliverance from the sins that weigh us down. So God the Father put his words in Jesus' mouth. And Jesus puts his words in his minister's mouth. And there's no diminution of authority. You know, when the Father gives the word to Jesus and Jesus speaks that word, it was the word of God himself. When Jesus gives that word to his under-shepherds as ministers and they forgive sin or they baptize or they give the Lord's Supper or they comfort, it is the Lord Jesus doing it. He puts his words in the mouths of his ministers. Do not be afraid. I've redeemed you with my holy precious blood, with my innocent suffering and death, that you might be my own. There's that redemption theme. And that's, that's what the prophet does. And so you see those things happening. When the picture is painted elsewhere in the Gospels on numerous occasions, like the feeding of the 5,000 uh, later in John's Gospel, it looks like the scene from Sinai, the sheep and the shepherd and then they're fed by manna in the wilderness, except Jesus is that manna. And so this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And as we look into toward Epiphany, we hear that framed out in the baptism of our Lord and then the transfiguration of our Lord. This is my beloved son. Hear him. So let's look at the gradual from Psalm 145. Psalm 145, the gradual that occurs between the Old Testament that prophesied the coming of the greater prophet, and the epistle from Philippians 4 is another prayer, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever. To call upon God in truth is to confess the truth of one's sin and need for Christ according to the word of God, for your word is truth. You know, sanctify us in your truth, Jesus said, your word is truth. So to call upon God in truth is to confess one's sin and need for Christ according to the word. It is praise of the Lord when we do this. And it is praise to the Lord when we yearn for this salvation. This is why the Lutheran confessions say the highest worship of God in all the gospel is the desire to receive the forgiveness of sins. King David in the Old Testament was brought to confess through the ministry of the prophet Nathan his sins. Psalm 51 speaks of it. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth 
will declare your praise. And so this gradual, again, just like the collect for the day and how we see in the intro and the verse of the day, really expresses this yearning that our sins would be lifted from us and we would find relief. We'll be talking about the epistle for this coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender, right after the break. Please include the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. For a year-end tax-deductible donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Pastor Bender, we come to the epistle, which is from Philippians, and it kind of takes us back to where we were last Sunday. Yes, last uh, Sunday, the third Sunday, the intro for the day had as its antiphon Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, There's the invitation to faith to trust in Christ, who is your Redeemer kinsman, who has done everything for your redemption. That means no matter what comes into my life, even if it is the ongoing struggle with sin that I yearn to be free of and that so easily weighs me down, we're to rejoice in the Lord Jesus. 
So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness or moderation be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's one of my favorite epistles. I use it so often when I'm visiting the sick, the dying, those who have been burdened in their conscience and weighed down by their sins. Christ has redeemed you with his holy precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death. Do not be afraid. He has taken your sin upon himself. Rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't begrudge you this gift. His forgiveness and mercy is exactly what he wanted to give to you. And through the things that we suffer, your illness now, your impending death now, looking back on a life of disappointment and heartache when you have been so easily weighed down by your sins, rejoice in the Lord. He is your Savior. He has redeemed you with his holy precious blood. Let your gentleness, this is the, the moderation and the reasonableness and the gentleness that is born of a heart that receives the gospel and relies not upon himself, but upon the Lord's grace and mercy. Let your reasonableness or gentleness or moderation be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, and he is at hand for you, I would preach to those who are troubled. He is at hand for you in this word that I speak to you, in his body and blood that I now give you. Therefore, do not be anxious, but in everything, every struggle you're having, every weight of sin which so easily weighs you down, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, even for your sufferings that draw you closer to Jesus, let your requests be made known to God. And what is the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace of God centers in the full and complete forgiveness of sins, or that righteousness that rains down from heaven as the intro it for the day spoke. The peace of God of which the angels sang on Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, the peace of sins forgiven, God's goodwill, his grace for all mankind. The God of peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in prayer, we lay the weight of our sin upon Jesus. And the result is the reception of the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. That is to say, it is unbelievable that God would love the likes of me, that he would love the likes of you, that he would love the likes of Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, and who confesses the good that I would I don't do, and that which I would not is the very thing that I do, O wretched man that I am, that he would love you upon whom the weight of sin so easily presses down. Yes, who can fathom this, this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding? So if you go back to that alternate gospel of the visitation, Elizabeth expresses this sentiment when she says, how is this that the mother of my Lord should come to me, me of all people? It's a reference to the wonderful realization of God's grace. How can Jesus come for me, be born for me, die for me, forgive me, and lift the burden of my sin so graciously and so willingly? But that's what we're talking about uh, in this epistle, and indeed, for this entire Sunday. How would you summarize this Sunday in terms of law and gospel? 
I talk about malady that needs to be addressed and then the unique gospel for this Sunday. So three points under this malady to which the law must be addressed. Number one, the burdens of sin that weigh us down, threatening us with despair, as if there is no hope for comfort. I think a preacher must empathize and identify with his congregation in connecting with them and identifying what those burdens of sin are that weigh us down. And this is where I said, I don't think the primary focus ought to be on the smug and self-righteous, but on those who can barely get to church because the weight and burden of their sin is so great. Number two, in terms of malady, a false sense of yearning to be delivered from the burden of sin from some sort of spiritual exercises that a Christian thinks he or she should perform, or some sort of spiritual strength that he or she thinks they can find within themselves. This is a false yearning. You're yearning to be set free, but you're not going to find that freedom in yourself, in your own spiritual exercises or strength of will. And I think that needs to be addressed as well. Number three, the failure simply to believe and trust that Christ really is my Redeemer, kinsman, who has joined himself to my flesh and to my blood for the express purpose of redeeming me and lifting the burden of my sin. In terms of unique gospel for this Sunday, Todd, number one, the Son of God is the prophet who speaks forth the life-giving word of God. He is the Christ the anointed one, the promised son of David, the fulfillment of every promise of salvation in the Old Testament scriptures. And he is the redeemer kinsman for me and for every sinner who is one with our flesh, with our blood. Number two, he's joined himself with my sinful flesh to make my sin his own. That's why he did it. I'm not worthy to unloose the sandal strap, John said, because he said that after Jesus went into the water and came out of the water and John realized that this Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Number three, Jesus has paid the ultimate and all-sufficient price for my redemption. There is nothing left undone. His holy precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. This is my salvation and this is the righteousness that showers down from heaven. And finally, number four, I belong to him. He is my Lord. He has called me by name. He has lifted the burden of my sin that weighs me down. And he has done so by his everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. That no accusation from the evil one or accusation from the law can gainsay. Christ is my Redeemer, kinsman, and I belong to him. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December is a Christmas book for children ages 5 through 9. It contains 12 Christmas stories from the Arch Book Christmas Collection, classics, all of them. Make a great gift for a child, a godchild, or a grandchild. Find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House 1 800 
1-800-325-3040. Ask for Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll continue our Marriage Enrichment Series with Pastor David Peterson. We'll get a review of the movie The Menu with Pastor Ted Geese, and we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.